Welcome to Democracy in Action, a show from the League of Women Voters of Broward County, where we bring you the stories of everyday people who are making democracy work. This week on Democracy in Action, I speak with Linda Bloomfield. She's a registered nurse, Tai Chi practitioner, and pro-choice advocate. In this interview, we discuss why she believes silence is consent, how she's voted in every single election since she's turned 18, and she explains to us what democracy in action means to her. Please welcome Linda Bloomfield. Thank you for agreeing to be on the podcast, Linda. It's my pleasure. Thank you for asking. What was your first political action or, I guess, your memory of being political as an American? Well, I've given that question some thought, and frankly, it's very difficult to answer with just one event or one time in my life when I might have had an epiphany. By way of background, the I was a teenager into young adulthood during the 60s, and it was a mm-hmm. it was a paradigm shift for this entire country, but particularly for young women of the age I was at that time. I was raised by a, a mother who, in turn, was raised with a woman's role, basically, grow up, get married, have kids, be barefoot and pregnant. Women didn't work outside the home, except during the war when it was a matter of necessity. Mm -hmm. Women's job were inside the house. And then the 60s came along and things shifted and women's rights became an issue. Women became an issue. We were coming into our own. We had people like Bella Abzug and Gloria Steinem um, making the news and saying, hey, look at us. We're citizens too and we're entitled. And so somewhere along that continuum, I did become more politically aware. It was a tough time in this country. Uh, I remember like yesterday when John Kennedy was assassinated. Mm -hmm. It changed this country for forever. And anybody who wasn't politically aware certainly had a moment on that fateful day. It was a time uh, when President Johnson signed the Civil Rights Movement. Prior to that, when President Kennedy was dealing with the Cuban Missile Crisis. Mm -hmm. We were in the middle of a very unpopular war in Vietnam, and the country was divided with those who supported what we were doing and those who fought vehemently against what we were doing. We had that awful shooting at Kent State, which was less than an hour's drive from where I lived in Ohio. So a lot of things were going on. I did register when I was 18 years old, and I'm very proud to say I've never missed an election, but I think It was a confluence of a lot of these events in just that time period in American history that began my political awareness. And and really, that's the only way I can answer that question. It's just not an easy question. Okay, so the first time you voted, you were 18 years old. Do you remember the the year that was? 1964. 1964, interesting. Wow, okay, cool. Question, so you you mentioned two women. You said Gloria Steinem. I know who that is. Who was the second lady you mentioned? I've never heard of. Oh, Bella Abzug. Oh, that's because you're so very young. Bella Abzug. Bella was a a politician from New York. Uh, They called her Battling Bella. She was a lawyer. She was a member of the House of Representatives. She was a social activist and a leader in the women's movement. And so right around that time, it was Bella 
It was Gloria Steinem. You may have heard of Shirley Chisholm. She was the first black woman ever elected to office to the House. Uh, Betty Friedan. Yeah, yeah, um, so all of these, all of these women came into the spotlight at that time in history and and into the 70s and made women's issues more prominent. Made made people aware that you know what we had brains and we were more than baby machines. And oh, okay. it was it was a transition period for a lot of us because I was being raised in my mother's world with my mother's expectations and suddenly it wasn't enough. It wasn't enough for a whole generation of women to just get married and have babies. And so I think a lot of political activism, at least political awareness, came to us at that time in history, at that time in our lives. Okay, that's 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 really interesting that you mentioned Gloria Steinem and Battling Bella. So I know that they were prominent in women's, I guess, women's rights movement in the 60s. But what what exactly attracted you to them that made you want to, I guess, be more active? What do you think you saw in them that made you want to? I think what I saw in them more than anything else was possibility, was opportunity, Mm. was here's a little bit you don't know about me that I will share with you. But um, I was married very young. I was 21. And because that's what we did. Did, even if it was the 60s. And I had two children. Um, I was 24 and 27 when my children were born. And after my first one was born, I became a stay-at-home mom. Uh, we were able to afford it, and it seemed like the right thing to do. And then I had my second pregnancy, and my son was born, and I still was at home. I ended up going to see a therapist shortly after my son was born. And believe me, it was not postpartum depression because my comments to the therapist were simply, you know, I've got a wonderful husband. I've got two beautiful kids. I got a house in the suburbs. We got two cars. I got a roof over my head. I have everything a woman is supposed to want. And yet I found my life so boring, so empty, really, on mm. so many levels, and just determined it wasn't enough. I needed some adult contact, and so I went back to work, and I never looked back. It was a, a new idea at the time. The the phrase latch latchkey kids came into being because more and more women were working outside the home, and you know their kids were coming home from school with their own keys and letting themselves in, or going to sitters, or you know, whatever arrangements the families made. But again, another paradigm shift of being able to keep my own mind active and fulfilled doing something other than being a mother and a housewife, no matter how much you love it. It isn't enough for a lot of women, and I was one of those women. These other women, these these activists, were making it clear to me that I had other opportunities and I was not tied into being the housewife and the mother role only. Both roles of which I loved, but it wasn't enough. And so they said go, and I went. <laughs> gotcha. That's, that's really cool, Linda. Could you just mm-hmm. tell us about where you grew up? And I know you grew up in Cleveland. Well, I was, uh, yeah, I was born and raised in Cleveland, Ohio. Lived there pretty much off and on, but uh, pretty much the first 50 years of my life. Went through the schools there. Got married. I mean, it's the middle of America. If you're not from the middle of America,
America, then you probably won't have a clear understanding. But when they talk today, well, not today so much, but when people talk about, you know, American values, you know, mm -hmm. reference to home and hearth and doing the right thing. And Cleveland was one of those cities. It's a good place to live. It was a good place to raise kids. It still is. Okay. Nothing eventful. I, I went to college there. And like I already told you, got married, had my family there. When I went back to work, my son was about nine months old. And I had my best friend who also had two children about the same age as my two. And we both started back to work by doing clerical or secretarial work with mm -hmm. a temporary agency. And she would work one week and I'd watch all four kids and then I'd work one week. She'd watch all four kids. And when I tell you, believe me, that got old fast until I finally took a full-time job. But at the ripe old age of 30, with two preschool kids and a husband, I went back to school. I started nursing school when I was 30 years old, which was kind of fun because all the rest of the kids pretty much had just graduated high school and um, they had to live in the dormitory and I got to go home, which was unusual. Actually, I was the first student ever in that particular school of nursing that did not live in the dormitory. They really didn't quite know what to do with me. They'd never had an older student. They'd never had a married student. There's certainly no student that was a parent. It was an interesting journey. But I finished, um, it was a three-year diploma program at one of the local hospitals that I finished mm -hmm. at the ripe old age now of 33. And the following year went to Cleveland State University because I had a husband and children and a job. I mean, it's not like I had options to go to Stanford or Harvard. I went to Cleveland State, and I'm not putting it down. I'm just saying okay. I was limited in my choices. But I finished my BSN, my Bachelor of Science in Nursing, at Cleveland State. And the year after that, I went back uh, for a master's degree in public administration because I knew at some point uh, I would move away from bedside nursing. So I, I wanted the administrative background to be able to do that. And after that, I thought about law school. I thought about a Ph.D. program, mm -hmm. but I decided that was enough, and it gave me the tools and the opportunity I needed to move on in my career. So I finished up with my master's degree and left it at that. Okay, cool. All right. So just to fast forward to now, you're a nurse. I know you moved down to Florida, and what made you want to join the league? Well, I moved down here uh Golly, 21 years ago already, but I retired in 2012 mm -hmm. and began doing volunteer work because one does have to keep one's mind busy. Yep. And um, as we were going into the 2016 election, I took a look around. I was doing volunteer work for a couple other agencies at that point, but we started talking about the 2016 election that was coming up. And one thing that's always been a major annoyance to me is people that don't vote. Mm -hmm. I don't understand people who don't vote. I guess I really don't want to understand them. Okay. It's, it's a singular privilege of living in our country that we get to choose the people who represent us. And, and while we don't always get our way with the election outcomes, it's just so vitally important that you vote. It's an exercise for which there's no excuse to miss. So I, I took a look around and of course I knew of the league. Everybody knows of the league. And that's when I joined. And I joined the league purposely 
to work on the voter registration committee, which I still do these years later because it's still mm-hmm. vitally important to me. And the rest of the activities I'm doing now with the league, you know, came as time passed. But the the purpose initially of joining the league was to help them register voters. And after that, of course, um, I became active with the Speakers Bureau because at election time, it's important to reach out to the community and educate them about the things that are on the ballot, the things on which they're being asked to make decisions. You know, no candidates, Mm -hmm. no political parties, but you, you live in Florida, you've seen our ballots, you understand there are always... Uh, you know, constitutional amendments, charter mm-hmm. amendments, bonds, levies, nonpartisan officers to vote for, like school board. So there's always something that needs explaining, and that's what the league does, and that's why I'm active with the Speakers Bureau as well, not just, you know, to educate myself so I can be a smart voter and hopefully pass some knowledge along to the community so they can be smart voters too, or at least make good choices. Okay. So I know you said that you say you don't understand people that don't vote. Why Mm -hmm. do you think it's important to vote? What is that core reason why you have never missed an election in your life? Well, you know, the simplest explanation is that it's it's my voice in my government. It's that simple. The vote is your voice. And if you don't use your voice, then you don't have an opinion. Nobody knows what you want. You certainly have no right to complain about the outcome if you didn't vote. But it is it is the voice in our democracy, and I will not be silent. I don't think anybody should be silent. I may not agree with your opinion. I may not agree with how you choose to vote. But again, that's the privilege of living in our republic, that you Mm -hmm. get to do that. But sitting by silently, sitting by silently is just not acceptable. Never has been, never will be. Gotcha. Okay. So what are some of the... Okay, so I know you've been a member of a number of committees. You said voter registration and all that but I want you to tell me about why you decided to get more involved with the it's the women's rights committee right I'm not sure exactly what the name is yeah uh, that's what they're calling it nowadays what we're calling it mm-hmm. I that was a kind of a default issue started of course going to um, league meetings and the board meetings in particular where all the committee chairs would um, take an opportunity to talk about what their committee was doing what they've done what they were looking to accomplish. Um, So listening to the report, there was really nothing going on with women's rights, which kind of surprised me, given that we're the League of Women Voters. And while I appreciate the fact that we have, you know, male members, this organization started for women. And I would think that women would still be a priority for the organization, but no one was doing the women's rights at that point. And so I just kind of accidentally fell into it, I suppose. I mean, I've been a member of NARAL, and I've been a a member of NOW since the 1970s. I am currently also a member of the Pro-Choice Coalition and, of course, the League of Women Voters. So sometimes it's just a matter of putting a little money where my mouth is, and sometimes it's a little bit more activity. But again, in line with the goal of the League to be educators, as far as the women's rights issues go, I hope that's what I'm accomplishing. Uh, along with my uh, engagement with these other organizations and, and our participation in some of their activities, primarily 
What I do is keep an eye on the political front, particularly down here in Florida. Every legislative session has one or two or four or five bills introduced putting uh, the kibosh on abortions, uh, six-week abortions, 20-week abortions, heartbeat bills, uh, the parental consent bills. You know, little by little, they're trying to chip away at women's rights that are already in law. This is a law that's been around since 1972 when the Supreme Court passed Roe versus Wade, giving women the right to privacy, privacy, mm-hmm. not guaranteed in the Constitution, but in in the Constitution and in our state Constitution as well. And in that right to privacy, you have a right to make decisions about yourself and your family and your life. And one of those rights is whether or not you want to terminate a pregnancy. And so I believe not in abortion per se, but I do believe strongly in a person's right to choose how they want to live their life. And that's what I'm fighting about, the right to choose. If you choose to have an abortion, that's your decision. If you choose not to have an abortion, that's your decision. But I find I can give no legislators an inch on having someone else decide for me or for you, Miss Janelle, what to do with your own body. So I try and educate. I keep an eye on the legislation. I paint slatter the information to our members. I ask them to call their representatives or email their representatives or preferably both and explain to them why we feel uh, some piece of legislation should be or uh, or why we would ask them to vote no and and get it not passed and so that's primarily what I do with the league just an it's an educational process and um, and then the rest of it you know I I dig my toe in the water with the youth involvement committee that yep. you are so beautifully running but I think it's important uh, I think it's vital actually we've talked many many times about the community's perception of the league League of Women Voters being an organization of old white ladies. And the sad fact of the matter is the majority of our members are old white ladies. And we need need diversity in our membership, and we certainly need younger members. And that's where you and your group come in, and you're doing an admirable job. So thank you for that. We're glad to pass the torch to you. Um, Same thing with the environment. I could get a lot more involved because I think we're just absolutely absolutely destroying the planet we live on. So I try and help out where I can with that as well. But my primary focus is the women's rights and what I do with the league and for myself, what I do with the other organizations. So segue into something you kind of mentioned, I guess, younger people being in the league. What would you say are some of the biggest challenges with the league in in the work you do as far as Mm -hmm. I I see that as one of the biggest challenges in attracting younger folks. What do you What are some of the biggest challenges in your work that you do with the League? Well, I think the biggest challenge, in my personal opinion, with the League, the world at large, particularly in this country, is is just apathy. It's just apathy. We Mm. talked a little earlier about the silent majority, um, about people not speaking up or speaking out. And, you know, in, in my line of work as a nurse, when people 
would come to the hospital and they were not in any condition to talk to the health care providers. We had a rule of thumb, and it's a legal rule of thumb, that silence is consent. And that applies politically as well. And if you're going to be apathetic, if you're just going to sit back and let things unroll without participating, whether you're writing letters or sending emails or simply voting, it's that apathy. It's that apathy that is in my opinion, harming us more than anything else. So that's my biggest challenge, trying to light a fire under people to start caring a little bit. Gotcha. That's very interesting. Silence is consent. I guess that really is true. Mm -hmm. Okay, another question. So what is one, I guess I want to call it a myth about politics that you'd want everyone to know, something that people kind of think of as, kind of think of as something that's assumed, but that you don't think is true? Is there anything that you can sort of think of? Yes, absolutely. And I think it's very sad, but basically you cannot rely on a politician's promises. You know, no, I I hear you chuckling, but, you know, it used to be we had such strong faith and such trust in the people we elected to represent us. And again, speaking for myself, that just isn't so anymore. And I don't Mm -hmm. think I'm alone out there. I think they are greedy and selfish and will tell you whatever it is they think you want to hear to get ahead. And then we'll go ahead and do whatever they want or bow to the wishes of whoever's filling their campaign coffers and it's it's changed the political landscape in this country yeah i'm not i'm not sure when anyone ever thought that that you could rely on a politician's promise but i guess that is that definitely is true right yeah you know we were a younger country not all that i mean we're still a young country compared to you know like almost any place in europe but our constitution has stood well for over 200 years and um um, the ideal remained for so long, and then I, you know, and again, I can only speak from my own personal experience. I, I, I will not speak for anybody else. But when when John Kennedy was assassinated, the day he died, I think a lot of a lot of dreams died with him. I'm not saying that the people that followed him were were evil or bad, but we soon learned that they didn't always tell us the truth. There was a lot going on, for instance, in Vietnam that we Mm -hmm. weren't being told about. The troops going into uh, Laos and Thailand, they never told us about that. And, you know, when the war first started, uh, when our our soldiers would come home in coffins, they always had a, I, I don't know what to call it, a patriotic moment, whatever it was. Television was interrupted and cameras would be at the air Force base where the bodies, where the coffins were being unloaded from the planes. And, you know, and it was, it was, but they stopped doing that too because they didn't want us to know how many people were dying over there. We didn't know that over 55,000 Americans died in Vietnam until the war was over. And, wow, uh, a lot. but I, I think, I think, in, at least in my mind, that's when things started to change and politicians started to lie so that they could get their way. And, um, and again, I'm not poking at Lyndon Johnson. He did sign the Civil Rights Act. He signed uh, um, the Medicare uh, Act. I mean, you know, he did a lot of good, but he also lied to us. So, you know, you start.
start with a, a little lie, and then you start getting suspicious. And, you know, here we are, what, 50, 60 years later, and frankly, I don't believe anything that comes out of anybody's mouth these days, pretty much. We're still looking for our Messiah, Camille. Janelle, we are. We're still looking for our Messiah. Yeah. Oh, man, I don't know if... I don't know if there's ever going to be a Messiah. That's kind of... Uh, yeah. I don't yeah. either. I don't either. I mean, we can talk politics here, but that's not what we're doing tonight. So we'll save it for a cup of coffee another time. Sure. We're almost at the end. Uh, so mm-hmm. for the last question, second to last question, actually. So which person would you say has had the most impact on your political views? Well, again, a toughie. Uh, there have been a lot of uh, good, strong people. Um, I'm a great, great admirer of Eleanor Roosevelt. She was a woman who made her own way in a man's world and did so much good for so many people, despite despite the ongoing efforts to quiet her, to close her mouth, to make her sit down, to be a good woman. Uh, so Eleanor has always been one of my idols. And of course, we talked earlier about some of the leaders of the women's movement, Gloria Steinem and Bill Abb, Harriet Tubman. As you can see, I do favor women as role models, but why not? I am one. So I, I'm glad to look to my own kind to be able to find some heroes. Gotcha. Okay, awesome. And to conclude, right, the last question is this. So mm-hmm. this podcast is called Democracy in Action. So when you think of the phrase democracy in action, what does that phrase mean to you? Well, my friend, that's going to bring us back full circle to the very beginning and the first question. Democracy in action means to me to use your voice, to be active, to educate yourself, to speak out, and more than anything, to vote. You know, there's a little um, saying, a little meme that floats around that says democracy is not a spectator sport, and it is not. So, if yes, so again, your silence accomplishes nothing, and I think every citizen of this country has an obligation and responsibility to educate them and to vote and that would be democracy in action thanks for listening to the democracy in action podcast for more information about the league of women voters of broward county you can visit our website at lwvbroward.org